So Money Episode 17, Jackie Zayner. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome to So Money. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. I'm a huge admirer of today's guest. Her name is Jackie Zayner, and she's a trailblazer. She's a champion for women's advancement and leadership, to say the least. It started at Goldman Sachs, where in 1996, Jackie became the youngest woman and the first female trader to be made partner. She currently serves as the Chief Engagement Officer for Women Moving Millions. It's a nonprofit organization whose mission is to mobilize unprecedented resources for girls and women. The global network has given over 500 million bucks to hundreds of different organizations and causes. Jackie is also a writer, a speaker, a consultant, and you can learn more about her at JackieZayner.com. And she's on Twitter at JackieZayner. Some big takeaways from this interview. If you're a woman and you are interested in progressing and becoming more successful in your career, this podcast is for you. Now, Jackie talks about her rise on Wall Street and what she credits for that rise. And I think a lot of her insights and experiences still have a lot of validity in 2015 in terms of how to, how to, how to win big at work. And she also discusses the female run startups that she is investing in right now and uh, why. You will discover that Jackie is very, very charitable, very philanthropic, a really smart investor uh, during the podcast. And so it's really, really cool to hear about where she is seeing growth and opportunity online and why she's putting her dollars behind certain companies. So Jackie Zayner, phenomenal woman, phenomenal interview. She takes it away right now. Jackie Zayner, welcome to So Money. I'm really honored to have you on the show. Thank you. It's lovely to be here with you. I feel really lucky to have you on the show. I know a lot of our listeners are eager to hear about your experience in the world of finance as really a pioneer, a trailblazer in, on Wall Street for women. I just want to brag about you for a second. Um, I mentioned in the introduction, but it's worth repeating. You, uh, in 1996, became the youngest woman and first female trader to be made partner at Goldman Sachs. And from there, you have gone on to really pave the way for women in the world of finance and banking and really broadly, I would say, just women who want to be leaders and make a difference. And and speaking of making a difference, you are a, an active member of um, – Women Moving Millions, which is a nonprofit organization um, helping to um, mobilize unprecedented resources for girls and women. And you there are the chief engagement officer. So I definitely want to talk a little bit about that as well and share your experiences there with our, our listeners. But first, tell us about what it was like being a woman in what is still considered to be a man's world on Wall Street. Gosh, I know. I'm feeling old at the moment. My kids remind me that the 80s was a very long time ago. (laughs) Um, So I started in in 1988, which was great as an analyst on the trading floor. And 
Um, frankly, I didn't have a lot of expectations. I mean, you think way back then, um, you know, you just didn't have the media in the form that you did today for me to even really have a real sense of what Wall Street was all about. And I grew up in a very small town in Canada. I told my son yesterday, I'm like, Matt, you know, we had two channels, and the one of them, I think, showed Little House on the Prairie most of the time. So coming from that, um, going through college, arriving on Wall Street, I just didn't really know what to expect. Um, but it was actually really awesome. Um, when I joined, women were sort of started really starting to come in in much higher numbers. I think my analyst class is probably 40% women back in the 80s, and it was within two years that I, I landed a job on the trading floor, one of very few women that were sitting with the headsets on in front of these rows and rows of of computers, if you saw Wall Street, something like that. Um, but it was it was really a wonderful experience. I mean, super intense, frankly, and there were moments um, where I was like, what the heck am I doing? But I was really grateful to have uh, an outstanding manager. If you ever read the book or think about wanting to read a Wall Street book called Liar's Poker, he was prominently featured in that book. And, and he was really great. So I had uh, someone who was really looking out for me. I had a, another great boss. Um, so it was a challenge for sure. Um, lots of stories to tell about inappropriate situations on one hand. But on the other hand, what an opportunity uh, to be uh, a trader, to be making decisions around how the firm allocated his, um, their capital. And it really, it, it just taught me a lot. It gave me a lot of confidence, um, forced me to be a decision maker, which always wasn't um, easy. Um, but I think it's fundamentally changed how I think about the world, how I think about myself, and, you know, really feeling um, such an uh, obligation in some ways um, to, to really try to open up the field of finance for women because it really is an incredible career. What do you think differentiated you at the time um, so that you were able to become that leader. You know, I think you said there was a great support system, but still women were a minority and still are in that world. And so how did you stand out? How did you, did you sort of make a goal to, to do what you did or just kind of, it was circumstance? I mean, talk about that journey, but specifically why you? Why, did you, why do you think you made it so far and, and others did not? Oh, gosh, that's a great question. Um, I think it's a combination of a lot of things. Um, women always say, oh, I was so lucky, you know, and I don't want to lead with that, and yet, look, I chose to, to lead with that in some ways. But I think it's, it's a combination of hard work, opportunity, and luck, which to me means being at the right place at the right time. So I think I brought all those to the table. I mean, being a trader in the mortgage-backed um, area in the 90s was a great place to be. You know, it's an exploding market. I don't mean in the negative way that it exploded, um, you know, when all these financial instruments blew up and, you know, in the 2000s. But it was um, securitization was huge, which was taking debt instruments and, and creating, um, you know, repackaging them for different purposes. So it was really um, a growth time, so the, the opportunity was there um, for me um, at Goldman, and they gave me the seat to make the most of it. And I think how I made the most of it was, of course, hard work. I mean, that's the key ingredient, I think, to anyone's success, I would hope. Um, and then I really, I, I, I really loved what I did and, and took not only sort of the idea of how do I make money for the firm very seriously, but it's in the context of really building a franchise and building great client relationships and great relationships with our sales force. So I think um, that was sort of key for me, being focused on the people side of the business, not just to make the money, because I thought, and Goldman's sort of business principles hold up 
to that. Um, they put that forward that, you know, clients do come first. And I really believe that and practice that. And uh, I think at the end of the day, too, being made partner and promoted, it's because I cared so much, um, deep, so deeply about the culture of the firm. I mean, I loved Goldman. It gave me incredible opportunities. And I always was a hand up kind of person in terms of, you know, doing recruiting or helping and leadership development or hosting interns, you name it. So I think that really um, helped me stand out in addition to all those other things is what a, what a culture carrier, you know, I was. And I love that part of my job. What do you think now of all the negative press firms, not just Goldman, but all of the, you know, Wall Street firms are getting? Is it heartbreaking a little bit because you were so yes. part of that culture at one point and now to see it kind of, you know, just be sort of looked at in such a negative light? I know. No, it's very heartbreaking for me because I do think financial services and capital markets provide such a key role in our society. And I left um, Goldman in 2002, so it was a long time ago um, versus where it is now. And I you know, missed that whole meltdown sort of phase of it. Um, but it's heartbreaking to me because efficient capital markets are really important and they're based on integrity and they're based on trust. And there's a lot of reasons why trust should be broken in the financial services you know, sector, not just because of the mortgage crisis, but you know, the crisis around LIBOR and, and you know, all sorts of securitization issues and you know, Madoff, you name it. You know, so there's, um, it's, it is, it's heartbreaking because the vast majority of people that I worked with had impeccable standards in terms of how they conducted business and even their personal accountability. They were just really great, smart people. And I still think the vast majority of people, you know, in the world, but in financial services too, are, you know, are, are really are good people, hardworking, honest people. So I think it's still going to take a while for uh, the industry to get its trust back. Um, and I actually see that women's leadership and participation is key to that. Because I do believe um, that a diversity of of perspectives and not and breaking away against, I would say, you know, an, an old boys network to a certain degree is one of the preventions we have in the future against financial meltdown. I think you can get, you know, in certain organizations, it can become too clubby and too insider, and then who becomes the whistleblower? Mm-hmm. And I think Wall Street has to open itself up um, to be much more diverse, not just in terms of gender diversity, but every form of diversity be much more transparent and to be much, much more self-reflective around what is their role in society and, you know, where is their accountability in terms of not only, you know, the bottom line, but what it means to run an ethical global um, financial um, company and a, an ethical global financial system. Absolutely, I agree. And and now your work, uh, I think, is a real reflection of what you just said. Your work now in in the nonprofit space as chief engagement officer for Women Moving Millions. Tell us about the organization and what is on pl- on the plate for 2015. Oh yeah, thank you. So I, after I left Goldman, I've I spent you know 10 years, 12 years really mainly in the philanthropic sector. And I have such a passion around women's advancement and leadership and women's rights. And I took that with me through a variety of different roles and board service. And we have a foundation that we give. And and sort of all ended up to me landing as um, chief engagement officer for this community. It's a global community of over 200 people that have made gifts of a million or more to organizations of their choice around issues that care they care about that primarily serve girls and women. 
<coughs> excuse me. So just last year, we, we launched an initiative which is really about building a global philanthropic movement of women supporting women. And it's uh, called All In For Her. And if you Google All In For Her around women moving millions, you can download a beautiful uh, white paper slash call to action that really invites women particularly, but men, of course, as well, to step into their capacity to support other women. Um, this is a mainly a philanthropic focus, though we do hope over time it's more than that in terms of how we use all our resources in alignment with our vision for a more just and equitable world. Uh, but All In For Her is focused on really four things. One, give big, which is that level that, that mean, is something meaningful um, to you because we know money isn't all it's ever about, but it's really needed um, to, to fund the causes and issues that we and the strategies that we care about. Um, to be bold, so it's not just about the money, it's about you, and it's about bringing your full capacities, your leadership, your influence um, to the table for the issues you care about. Um, three is use a gender lens. Is, um, we, we did this report and, and, and noted that such a small percentage of overall philanthropic giving is actually specifically targeted towards girls and women, um, somewhat less than 15%. And our goal is to really elevate the strategies and the organizations that have a particular focus on issues like violence, for example, um, economic inequality and opportunity that do focus on girls and women. And the fourth piece is collaborate, like do it together, have fun together, join giving circles, you know, figure out um, with your friends, colleagues, or people that you find that share a passion around the, a certain issue area, do things together. And I think that's where, um, you know, true advancement is really going to happen if we, if we really partner and, um, you know, passion plus passion equals more than passion squared. It seems like it's passion to infinity. And the site is womenmovingmillions.net. We'll put that on the site at So Many Podcasts as well. And you mentioned be bold. So now is the time for you, Jackie, to be bold with me. We're going to talk money. And you spent some time now sharing with us some really cool insights about, um, you know, the broader picture of your part and role in the financial world and, and you know, making uh, just – paving the way for women. I want to learn more about you personally, Jackie Zayner, my financial philosophies, failures, fears, wins, successes, all that stuff, starting with something that um, is very personal to all my guests, and it's always very different. But what is, you would say, your personal financial philosophy or mantra? Some of us have more than one, but for us, share one that is really special to you that helps guide your decisions and choices with your money? Um, oh gosh, this is hard coming up with one, but this is such a big one. Maybe it, it sort of includes everything. Uh, mine would be invest wisely, spend thoughtfully, and give generously. Because at the end of the day, I think those, there are three things you can do with your money. Um, invest, spend, and give. Um, so those are the guiding ones. Invest wisely. Um, you know, it's probably pretty self-explanatory. It's just really around thinking about you know, your investment decisions and not just, you know, kind of what asset class and what you're investing in, but who are you supporting? Who are you handing your money over to that's then going to make money on your money by investing your money? So, you know, it's sort of taking it all the way down that food chain. Um, and increasingly, I'm really thinking a lot about and we're trying to do a lot more in the impact investing space. Um, spend thoughtfully. Do I really need that? Like, I really ask myself that mm -hmm. question. And sometimes I say no and buy it anyways. Um, but just, you know, be really thoughtful of what you spend your money on. 
um, and in alignment with the budget, and of course, give generously. Um, that's where I'm spending a lot of my time now, and I continuously challenge myself to think about, you know, at any point in time, how generous can I be, not only with my money, but with my time. And I would just add, you know, with investing wisely, it doesn't just have to be in an asset class or a portfolio or a stock. It can be in yourself and others in um, an idea that you have. You know, I think um, especially now um, it's really important to to make that commitment to yourself in, in an economy that is changing so quickly and, and we need to be able to be changing as it evolves. And so um, I'm a proponent of that. Me too. I like it. All right, money memories, Jackie. Um, we, you've already shared with us, you know, your memories stemming back to the '80s and the '90s, working as a woman on Wall Street. But take us back even further. I'm curious to know, Jackie, little girl Jackie, earliest money memory that has necessarily shaped how you think and and act with money. Oh gosh. Well, I think my earliest money memory. I was thinking about this when you asked this question. It was definitely getting money for teeth. I was like, <laughs> I don't know what that's teaching young children, um, really. But <laughs> that was my earliest money memory when I thought about it. But when it comes to lessons learned, it really is connecting. Um, money is something you get for hard work. My dad. I grew up in a small town in Canada, as mentioned, and my dad managed a grocery store. And he would be closed on Sundays. Remember those laws back then or right. in the evenings? And, yeah, we would come in as, as young children and face off the store and clean boxes. And, you know, so even as a young child, that was sort of a job. You know, he would pay us out of his own pocket, but we would come in and have work and we'd have, you know, our spending money. And so I always associated, you know, and I, I started my jobs when I was like 13. I worked in a concession stand and then Foot Locker and then, Dairy Queen, and you name it. So I, I always, money to me was never something I just got. It was something I worked for. And sounds like you got a taste of it quite early on, which I find is parallel in so many people's stories. People who have success, financial success, in their 20s and 30s, lo and behold, they had a job, you know, before they could, before they graduated from high school, and sometimes as a, a very young child. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's harder today. You know, kids, A, there's fewer employment opportunities, sure. it seems, for younger kids. And it's also, I have a, two children, 14 and 17, and, and my 14-year-old hasn't had paid work, but my 17-year-old has a you know, refereeing and things like that. But it's just how busy they are, you know? Like, yeah. schoolwork is so much more demanding. And I think that is, you know, a, a challenge and a, and a problem. And granted, you know, William, my husband, and I are in a different financial situation than my parents were you know, when we were growing up, and I, but I, I think so much has changed, and I, but the value of having a job and having that responsibility as young, young as you can get it, mm. you know, I think you're right. I think it's so important. Well, let's uh, talk about failure for a second. I think you've had so many successful moments in your life, and we're going to talk about what you think is your so money moment, but before we get to that, let's have you share a failure that, uh, you know, you're willing to admit because, hey, you learned from it and you're probably happy that it happened as so many times we look back on our failures and go, yeah, that kind of needed to happen for me to you know, get out of my comfort zone. Yeah, I've had a few, <laughs> more than a few <laughs> of them, honestly. But my biggest one was starting, investing in starting a, a music recording studio in Canada. Hmm. And you're probably like, what? Yeah, Why what? would you do that? <laughs> Why? And it's, and it's, I'm just actually going through this exercise in my life right now where I'm thinking about my thinking and my, what are my unique thinking talents and, 
you know, how, what, where do I get energy from and what is it I do that, that really makes me happy and joyful and I tend to want to do more and more. So this anchored in, in one of those types of things. So I have this huge relational, um, I would say, talent or uh, propensity. You know, people are really important to me. I care a lot about people. And, you know, I spend a lot of time, even in my life now, really uh, trying to help people achieve their dreams. And um, I met someone in Canada who was an extraordinarily talented musician, and he really had this, and it was my hometown where we still spend a lot of time, and he had an incredibly talented, wonderful guy, and he, was, he had a career in music, and he was now older, and he said, you know, people were coming to him to help develop um, them as recording artists, and he, he was absolutely convinced there was a business model here, and he was such a good friend of mine, and I was like, well, that sounds kind of fun, and yes, let's do that. And it, well, there's no recording studio in my hometown. Anyways, we did it. It cost um, a lot of money. Uh, but more than that, just huge amounts of time and hassle and, you know, because it was physical setup. It was buying equipment. And then it was one of the employees, you know, completely derailed in the process and there was chaos. And um, and it was a disaster, an unmitigated financial and personal. It cost me a friendship and relationship as well as a lot of money and a huge, huge, huge amount of time. Um, so it didn't stop me from wanting to help and support people, but it really stopped me from saying before you put a large amount of money and a time and actually make it your baby, you know, think it's got to be your baby um, in the, and not someone else's dream. So I've learned to sort of differentiate and think about how I support um, and get behind different things and really thinking about it in terms of the relational piece, um, the money piece, um, the ownership piece, and the idea piece, and, and trying to see where all of those come together. And before I sort of jump in, especially when it's a friend, um, you know, I think we should absolutely support our friends, you know, as much or more than we do complete strangers. But, you know, be very mindful going into it, you know, playing out the scenario if what if it goes wrong. Yeah, because with friendships, I mean, you're running on emotion there and not necessarily logic, and that can get you in a lot of trouble. Yeah, and I, I just didn't think it through, frankly. Mm. Um, I didn't think it through, and the fun factor and relational factor always weigh more heavily for me, um, but it, it was a hard lesson, and it was, it was a real painful one. Well, you made it through. <laughs> I did. I'm here. You're here. All right, so many moment. Jackie, talk about a time in your life where you just really felt financially you um, accomplished so much and it was something that maybe you strived for, you, work, you worked hard for. Well, I think for me a big moment because it was more about personal development. I was working <clears throat> at Goldman at the time for a number of years and um, sort of found out that someone who I really felt had my similar job, didn't make as much money for the firm, did not have you know, my team player-ness, um, you know, ended up getting paid a lot more than me. And I found that out in a way, um, you know, there's not a lot of transparency, but I did find, find that out. And it just devastated me, you know, because I thought, wow, like, I just trusted the system so much, you know, I just really trusted the system. And I think this is a classic sort of women's mistake <clears throat> in many ways. And I was so upset, I really realized I couldn't get over it that, you know, I went and got another job offer and basically went in to resign to not my boss who made the decision about what my compensation would be, but a higher level 
uh, person, um, Mr. Mortera, my fat ankles Mortera, from, even though that's not, he's a really wonderful guy, I shouldn't be <laughs> repeating that. And so I, I, I basically resigned, and he like, I, actually I resigned to my boss, and then he came, you know, he pulled me, and he's like, we need to go have lunch. So we had lunch, and he's, you know, he said, why are you leaving? And I told him, I said, you know, I found out you're paying me this, and, you know, and someone so made, you know, so much more money, and it's just not right, it's not fair. And he's like, you're absolutely right. He goes, I didn't know that that happened. I wasn't watching out for you, and I was even more mad. I'm like, how can you not watch out for me? I thought you were my mentor. And, um, you know, but he, he said, well, what do you need to stay? And I, and I said, I need you to, you know, have respect. This is before I made partner, of course. I was like, you know, I need your, you to be responsible for me, you not to take your eye off my career, you know. And, and he said, okay, I can agree to that. And he said, what else? And I said, well, I need a bigger opportunity. You know, so I, all of a sudden I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, I just, I'm like laying it out. So I laid out like four or five things. And um, he said, okay, I'll do that. And I, I whipped out a napkin and I wrote, wrote it on a napkin and I shoved it over to him to sign. He goes, now sign your name. He goes, I can't do that. And I said, you don't do that. I'm leaving. So we signed the napkin. And, you know, for me, that was sort of that lesson of ask for what you need. Um, and had I, had he been maybe out that day or whatever, maybe I would have gone, you know, and left Goldman and who knows, you know, what my career path would have been there, but shame on me for not doing that beforehand. And maybe I needed that Trump card in my, my pocket. Um, but before we make big decisions like that, especially in your career, when you're leaving, and I think a lot of times it's because there's a feeling of injustice, injustice, Mm -hmm. you know, to say, what have I done to make sure that I'm at the table in a way you know, that's, in, you know, appropriate and, um, and stand up for yourself. And, and I, that was a lesson learned. I think that is so exemplary, Jackie, because in so money, but the way you did it, the way you handle that with such grace, with such confidence, I think it certainly helped that you had that trump card, that you had that leverage of saying, you know what, I got a job offer and I'm on my way out the door. You happen to be nice enough to have lunch with your mentor to share it honestly and candidly why you were leaving. And at that point, I think because you were already a wanted woman, you know, wanted for hire someplace else, you were out the door. They, um, you, you had the power in that conversation. And I think, I don't think, it, I don't know if it would have turned out the same if you just kind of stormed into your boss's office and said, why am I not getting paid as much as the other guy? without anything else to offer, you know, except for the fact that I'm a woman and I should be making as much. Um, you know, I always write about how to ask for a raise appropriately, and it's so it's such a hard thing to navigate. But you just have to do it. You just have to do it. But sometimes going in with, like, the accusation of, well, I'm making less than the ne- this other person, you need something else, I feel like, to justify it. I, I, you shouldn't have to, but in the world of business, it comes down to, um, your, uh, the, how much they want you, right? How badly the company wants you and is willing to pay for your worth. So I think you did a great job of, of doing that and, and, and getting what you wanted. And, and um, I, I learned a lot from that story. Oh, thanks. And, you know, it's interesting because one of the things he put back to me is like, you know, even if that was true, like, Jackie, I have the long view in your career. And I was like, well, you have that view, but, you know, you've never shared that with me, you know, and maybe, and I'm not still saying that wouldn't have made it um, the same or, or fine if, if, if saying, look, I have my eye on you to be partner, so this small amount of difference in your compensation today, you know, in my view, doesn't, doesn't really matter. 
Um, and it sort of gets it gets between sort of that dialogue between I would not say I use the term mentor, but now I, I would there's both a mentor and a sponsor, and they can be the same person and they can be different. And I think it's really important, you know, to have a relationship and to feel like there's someone above you that you like and respect, and hopefully within your chain of command that has um, ha- is looking out for you. You know, and that's a two-way street in terms of how you build the relationship. And I think too often you sort of ask without, you know, investing in that relationship too. Like I, there's um, there's a balance there. But um, yeah, I think it's I think it's really important to always know your market value. And if you're going to use that card, know that you can't use it all the time. You know, but but you're right. I don't think I probably would have had that leverage without it. But in the same sense, I knew this man well enough that he knew my passion was there, and I didn't. You know, it just—it's sort of that—it's it, really tricky. I agree with you. It's—it's it's not cut, cut, cut and dry, and it's—it's it's a lot to depend. Really understanding the personality of the person that that ultimately has that is making that decision on your behalf. Yes, and sometimes you just have to bite the bullet and go in and get ask for what you want. And 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 I always say you don't get what you deserve; you get what you negotiate. <laughs> yeah, I like that. That's you know? true. Um, Thank you for sharing that. That was so money. Okay, let's talk rituals. I, you know, I, I assume that you have habits and um, things that you do regularly to enrich your financial life. And I would love if you could share one of those habits with us, whether it's daily or or less frequent. Yeah, I have a lot of them, as you can as you can imagine. But I do, you know, it's just re- <clears throat> review our financial position on a regular basis. So it's understanding sort of your assets and your liabilities, your investments, is taking a whole view. So we keep we keep everything sort of in a spreadsheet um, where we can sort of sit down and say, okay, where are we now? And in a very holistic, you know, kind of way. Um, so it's just a discipline. And I have to say, uh, my husband's been better at this of, of late than, than I am. But it just really knowing where you are um, at any point in time, at least for me, makes me more able to make sound decisions on that give, spend, invest framework. So always keeping sort of that holistic, knowing where you are pretty much at all at all points in time so you feel like you can make decisions wisely. And do you do this quarterly, once a month? Yeah, it's quarterly in detail, um, but weekly, monthly. Mm-hmm. How do you stay in touch with one another on financial decisions? What's been the best formula for you guys? It's really constant communication. And once a year, we really sit down and really talk through it. Not just like what we're spending and sort of the, you know, what managers were in and things like that. But, but now that we are, we're both 50, which is a big milestone, is really think about, you know, our goals and are we living sort of the life that we want to live and how are, how are our financial resources supporting that or not? And, um, and what we want to do over our lifetime and how we see, you know, our money, not just in terms of, you know, how we invest it and give it, but sort of the role it's playing in our life. Is it playing too big of a role or too small of a role? Um, and so it's not just, it, it, we really have a lot of conversation about it. And I think that's one thing that really keeps us, you know, anchored together as a couple is, is just coming together again, not because, um, I don't know, just because it's such an important thing. It's I don't want to overplay the role of money in terms of, um, you know, that being the, the, the means to the ends, but it's sort of oftentimes an ends to a means, um, mm-hmm. and that being the life that you want to live and how you express your values. I like that. Yeah, it's it's 
a challenge to find that balance. You want to be in control of your money, not the other way around, but you also don't want to be obsessed with it either as a result. Right. This is the uh, the part of the interview, we're almost done, where I get to ask you some really quick questions. Actually, they're sentences that have not been finished, and you're going to finish them. And uh, the first thing that comes to your mind, just say it. So, Jackie, if I won the lottery tomorrow, say $100 million, I would? Uh, invest in three women-owned startups that I'm looking at in a big way. Can you share with us those startups? <laughs> well, <laughs> One is this amazing company called Levo League, which is a platform for women entrepreneurs. And it's just, it's unbelievable. It's uh, not women entrepreneurs, but are women millennials around professional development started by this awesome woman named Caroline Gosen. She's just brilliant, and I love the platform. I love her, and I would give her a big, not that she needs it at the moment, but I would still force upon her a big chunk of money because I really believe in what she's doing. Um, the second one, it's not public, but I've always been obsessed with sort of a platform that both creates and it's, it's much what, what, what you're doing, sort of creates and curates content um, for women that's combined with just a certain sort of voice and perspective on um, current events, um, money, philanthropy, but it's, it's, uh, but it's more than that. It's sort of combined with how do you really take action. So I think of iVillage a million years ago and sort of a modern um, version of that. And there's, I'm really passionate about film as a tool for social change and involved with a lot of initiatives around documentary film, started the first ever feature film fund for women directors. So the third business would be a real platform around film um, for and by women that would sell and distribute um, and curate sort of amazing content. A lot of that's through partnerships. But again, really combine social action with documentary films. I love that. And I am a big fan of Labo League. Caroline is a phenomenal leader, and um, I, uh, I'm, I'm honored that they've actually had me you know, contribute there, and it's a wonderful community. So needed. Yeah, she's amazing. The one thing that I spend on, the one thing that I spend money on that makes my life easier or better is? Someone to come clean my house. I know, I've heard that from uh, quite a few successful, busy women, and I'm, I always love hearing that. What's yeah, your, what's, I could, yes. It's just once a week, but it makes, I love it. What is the one dirty work you hate doing? Mine's laundry. Oh, there are many. <laughs> All of it? <laughs> of things. All of I mean, hey, clean the bathroom. I mean, who likes to clean a toilet? You're like, just no. Um, I, I do every once in a while just because, okay, I just have to can't lose touch with the reality too much. Right. But cleaning that <laughs> toilet, you know, I'd rather not do that anymore. Right on. My biggest splurge, something I spend a lot of money on, maybe a little too much, and I'm embarrassed to tell you, but here it goes. Oh, mine's makeup. And it's not that it's a lot of money, but it's ridiculous. I have, like, bins full of lipsticks because I feel like it's, you know, it's cheap and cheerful. I know it's, it's kind of a cliche, but makeup and lipstick. One thing I wish I had known about money growing up is... It's investing. I, I lucked into it, frankly, but I didn't know anything, never took any classes, and that's not what my parents did, and I wish I grew up um, knowing uh, about the investment side of money. And yet you still went on to become partner at Goldman Sachs, so there is hope for all of us. <laughs> yes. And finally, I'm Jackie Zayner, and I'm so money because... Uh, it's important that women see money as a power tool. 
I like Maybe that. Maybe that is that a weird answer? Well, <laughs> that's the um, I was thinking about that. I guess, I'm so money because it's important. Well, it matters I guess that we own good, our financial resources. Well, why are you, Jackie Zayner, so money in your life? How are you an outstanding financial role model? Uh, because I give generously. I like that. And you absolutely do. We should mention again that Women Moving Millions has raised how many millions of dollars so far? Wow, we've, it's hard to count, but catalyzed over half a billion. Half a billion. Mm-hmm. That is, uh, that's remarkable. That's remarkable. And you must be incredibly proud, and you're touching so many lives. And thank you so much for joining thank us you. today thank on you. This So Thank you. This is many. so much fun. Um, loved having you. Please keep in touch. We'll be watching you. And again, all of the, the websites mentioned and resources mentioned will be featured on so many podcasts.com. Thank you, Jackie. Thank you. That is a wrap. Thanks so much, Jackie Zayner. Thanks to you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Jackie, please visit her website at JackieZayner.com. And again, she's on Twitter at Jackie Zayner. And as always, I want to hear from you. Tell me about what's on your mind, money questions, career questions, questions about life. Uh, And I'll try to answer it. I will. I, I try to answer almost every single question on the weekends on So Money. And the way, the best way to send your question is to go to somoneypodcast.com. Click on Ask Farnoosh. There's a form. It'll pop up. And just send your question. And off it goes. I get it in my inbox. I check my inbox constantly. And I'm picking questions for the show for the upcoming weekend, um, really up until the weekend. So do that. And uh, I love your shout outs on Twitter. Keep them coming. Farnoosh at Farnoosh, hashtag so money. Thanks for tuning in and I hope your day is so money.